This is the E-Commerce Brain Trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our Brain Trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Well, hello and welcome back to the E-Commerce Brain Trust podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Masters from Bobsled Marketing, and today I'm joined by Chelsea Cohen, who is an Amazon inventory management expert and the co-founder of SoStocked.com, an Amazon inventory management software. Chelsea is also an Amazon seller, speaker, and consultant. Her regular clients include seven and eight-figure sellers, and I have personally become familiar with So Stopped, Chelsea's software, and have heard extremely positive things about it. Really goes above and beyond what the current status quo of inventory management software looks like. So I'm excited to dive in and pick her brain about inventory management and how brands can improve what they've currently got going on. So welcome to the show, Chelsea. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah. I first actually heard you on a podcast. We were just talking probably about nine months ago. It's taken a little while for us us to connect, but you were the first person I'd heard explain the connection between PPC performance and inventory management mm-hmm. in such an eloquent way. I'd, I was writing notes furiously on my phone. I think I was on the train going uh-huh. somewhere and I was writing notes and, and thinking <laughs> I need to get Chelsea on the show. So yeah, you're doing great work out there in terms of advocacy as well. So well done. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much. That's, that's one of the things that I found is education is kind of the, the fundamental of what we do, just based on the fact that not a lot of people live in this side of the business. And so there's a lot of education that's needed. A hundred percent. Yeah. And, and it's a really, it's not as like sexy as PPC or (laughs) Amazon live video or all these things that get a a lot of attention. But the reality is if, if your inventory is not working for you, none of those things are going to either. Mm -hmm. That's right. So I'm going to jump right in. We're recording this December 2021, and we're still Mm -hmm. in the midst of this shipageddon kind of situation. (laughs) In our current situation with the supply chain being what it is, what can really be done in in this situation? If your inventory is stuck on a boat or stuck at the port, what are the most sort of forward-thinking brands out there doing to get around Mm -hmm. this? Yeah. I mean, if your inventory is stuck on a boat, there's really nothing you can do. Sadly, what you would have to do is before that point. So it all comes down to changing the entire way you operate your logistics. I call it logistics flexibility. And so that's having the foresight to set up like plan B and plan C. And what that looks like that I normally talk about is you don't put everything on a boat. You don't put everything on a truck and send it to Amazon and hope that Amazon, you know, with all its expertise over the last two years of completely, you know, messing up inventory check-ins, that they're going to, to get it there on time. So you need to have other alternative ways to fulfill inventory and to get orders to customers. So what that would look like would be you fill a container, but you've placed an order that's bigger than a container and you have that inventory, that additional inventory as a backup. 
at your supplier's warehouse. And usually your supplier will allow you to keep that there for free for, you know, say a couple of months, few months. And they might even, some of them are actually only having you pay for the inventory that you ship out. So you'll pay, you know, say it's 30, 70 terms, you'll pay 30% for everything, but only 70% on the container that you ship out. And then you keep this extra inventory sitting at your supplier and you only ship it by air if you need to. So that's an important factor is you only ship it when you need to, you only take that cost on when you need to, but then if the boat's stuck and you are hoping to buy yourself more time, you'll at least have the ability to send, you know, the expensive air freight over because oftentimes it's more expensive for us to stock out than it is for us to pay for that air freight. And we would rather pay the air freight. So you have that as a backup. And the same system would go for LTL versus small parcel delivery from your 3PL. And then of course, having an FBM fulfillment center as well on the fulfillment side. Great strategy that that is super helpful. Thank you for sharing that. So do you see Mm -hmm. one concern that I have is that brands are ordering more inventory and taking receipt of it or attempting Mm -hmm. to take receipt of it in order to get ahead of shortages or sort of like, I guess, on an industrial level, panic buying (laughs) ultimately. And so my concern is that we're going to get midway through 2022 or sort of at a time where things are start, the situation is starting to resolve itself. And then there's going to be brands, are gonna, brands and retailers are going to be sitting on huge amounts of inventory that they're going to then need to clear. Uh-huh. Do you see that as an issue? Do you agree with that or you have a different view? Yeah, I mean, it, it has been and it's kind of had to be. But if you can do use some of these flexible tactics like I talked about, it'll start to mitigate some of that cost. For example, if you're not being charged storage fees by your supplier, then you'll have produced that inventory. You'll have only paid for, you know, 30% of it, let's say. And so changing your term, creating more flexible terms with your supplier and creating the ability to store inventory with your supplier for no cost, that helps to mitigate some of those expenses. So it doesn't become as detrimental to your business as say if you moved everything and it's sitting in a warehouse at $25 a pallet collecting storage fees and, you know, diminishing in its profitability. So those flexible tactics, and then, like I said, flexible payment terms, because if you're not paying for it all up up front, you're paying for the initial payment, but you're not paying for that 70% until it ships out, that gives you a little bit of room and flexibility within your cash flow. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, my thesis is that Prime day 2022 is going to be a a huge prime day Mm -hmm. for low prices. (laughs) Yeah, right. So I recently recorded a conversation with Russ Deringer from Stratably about FBA aggregators. And I wanted to get your perspective on this as well. Do you think that these, that aggregators and their brands that they've acquired are making different types of inventory decisions are they doing things differently to incumbent brands? If yes, what could we learn from them? Yeah, so we do have several aggregators who currently use SoStocked. And it's interesting to see some of them are using these systems, these smart inventory systems. Some of them are stuck on spreadsheets. And that frightens me, to be honest, because spreadsheets are not very scalable. So there are some that, you know, we can't say that all aggregators are doing X, Y, Z, but 
most of them are moving into ERP systems and trying to get their, their data in order. But on the inventory side of things, haven't really figured out. Some of them haven't really figured out systems yet. But as far as one of the things they are doing to lower the cost of their inventory, which is something that I'm extremely excited about, that I'm starting to talk about, and that we are building tools for in 2022, and that's optimization across the supply chain. So optimization, profitability optimization, things like product size, resizing your packaging. Does your packaging really need to be that big? Or can you get into a lower pricing tier, a lower fee tier, right? Either in weight or size and weight, you can adjust into a lower tier so that you're paying less in Amazon fees. If you can do that across your entire catalog, the amount of money that you can save could be very, very substantial. And that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg. So product resizing, that could mean, you know, making, you know, designing new packaging and that whole side of the equation. The other things that one of the things we've personally done in our own business, and we did it with one of the products that we did it with, we were able to save 68 cents per unit, which is significant on a product that sells for less than $20. And what we did was there are new fee structures that are coming into freight forwarding things like minimums. So an example would be a carton minimum. If your carton is less than 12 kilograms for at least for the freight forwarders we are dealing with, all of a sudden, we're going to charge you for 12 kilograms, even if your your carton is 7.7 kilograms. If this is something that you don't know, then you might be getting these huge quotes and not realizing and maybe your freight forwarder isn't telling you or whatever is happening. These are things that because of all the chaos going on in, you know, trying to run your own business, these things can slip through the cracks. So that's one part of the fees, the, the weight fees, the minimum weight fees for cartons. The other side is now that everything, almost everything for everybody is going through a 3PL and that adds cost as well. We're not sending things directly into Amazon anymore because they won't let us do to restock limits. So another side to the carton fees is if you're able to get more units in that single carton, there's per carton fees, there's a carton pull fee where they just basically, you know, go retrieve the carton and then a carton labeling fee. And those can add up to $3.60 or more per carton. And so if you can add more units per carton, you're spreading that $3.60 over more units, and it becomes more profitable per unit because you have less in fees. So you could go from 200 cartons on an order to, you know, say 96 cartons in an order. And that cuts your, your fees literally in half. So carton fees beyond that, optimizing your pallets. There's a, there's a free tool called onpallet.com. And then containers, optimizing your container, making sure that that space inside the container is fully optimized and utilized. And you can do that with something called a free tool called peer to peer. That's P I E R to the number two peer.com forward slash load calc, calc as in calculator. And those are two tools that some of our users are currently using tools that we definitely intend to eventually create our own version within 2022 and roll that into our software. But it's things that you need to start doing in 2022 if you're having profitability problems, which most people are because it's get everything into, you know, Amazon any way you can. And that's basically been our last, the last two years of business. And it's, it's starting to hurt people. 
On this topic, a lot of brands, mm-hmm. as you said, they, they can't get sufficient inventory into FBA. Amazon's playing, you know, mm-hmm. with the restock limits in a completely incomprehensible way that doesn't seem to be a rhyme or reason to it from what I've seen. And so brands have to revert to FBM. And oftentimes the larger the brand, the less able they are to to make that pivot. And for small brands too, it really depends on how you're set up. If you're completely set up to not ever touch your inventory, it can be really challenging to figure that out. So I'm curious if you're seeing any kind of trend toward brands actually looking at setting up their own warehouse environment again instead of the relying on a 3PL who is ratcheting up their fees and probably swimming in business and doesn't, you know, might not have the white glove service that they once had. Right, yeah. We are seeing that in some places, you know, especially with the brands that can afford it. It is an expensive endeavor to set that whole system up. But for brands that can't afford it, I'm seeing that a bit. And then also people partnering with other brands to be able to do that, to create one facility, facilitate multiple brands. The other thing that I was seeing, interestingly enough, a friend of mine, longtime multi-seven figure seller, maybe even eight figure seller at this point, he set up his own trucking company. He was tired of... Yeah, he was tired of, you know, having trouble with getting trucking. So he went through the, all the paperwork to figure out trucking and they, he was doing it for his own brand. And then he's, he figured he got with a friend of his, they became partners and started to truck stuff in themselves. So that was an interesting development or an interesting take that I saw one of these entrepreneurs take during this whole pandemic. Yeah, that's a pivot that <laughs> you would not have expected. Yes, exactly. Not not many people would go that route. Wow. Desperate times lead to desperate Mm -hmm. measures, I guess. So one thing I'd love to hear you explain again, first heard you explain it, as I said, nine months ago, but it's been a while, Mm -hmm. is how stockouts ultimately affect not only your organic sales, but your advertising metrics like ROAS. Could you Mm -hmm. walk us through your sort of theory here? Yeah. So we often talk about stockouts from the, you know, during the stockout or post stockout costs. We talk about, you know, obviously there's lost sales. You lose, you know, you lose revenue when you stock out of a product, especially a bestseller. And then the re-ranking costs, there is, you know, if you air freight over to get something into Amazon quickly, there are the air freight costs. All of these costs that are because of a stockout, the Part that people don't often talk about or think about is the pre-stockout stockout costs. And that's simply the not planning out what is happening in your business with regard to your inventory. Doing something in marketing and having marketing affect inventory negatively. And that happens more often than you would think simply because we're so marketing wired. We learn of a new tactic and we say, I'm going to do this right now. And we do it. And then we find out that we're stocking out a month later. And this is something that I've seen happen to clients of mine. We were helping with a copywriting agency. We we're helping with an email campaign. And they said, oh, let's do a Mother's Day sale. And it was just a whim. It was like, oh, well, there's a Mother's Day sale. So might as well do a Mother's Day thing. And we'll just push some more inventory. 20% off coupons. Emails went out to over 100,000 people. And 
the next month, Father's Day comes around and say, oh, you're, are you going to do a Father's Day sale? Oh, we can't. We're running out of stock. And so there was were 20% off discounts, coupon codes that were used on inventory that is then leading to a stock out. So you just basically discounted your inventory 20% only to push yourself into a stock out. So there's, there's costs that come before the stock out. There's if you do coupon codes, if you do PPC, you know, your PPC ad spend, if you're paying an ad agency, all of those things that actually they drive sales, they drive too many sales based on, you know, too many sales, meaning that you don't have enough inventory for them and you run out of inventory and you have to look at all of the activities and all of the costs that's led you into a stock out as part of your stock out cost. Thank you for explaining that. That's super helpful. And I think particularly from a PPC perspective as well, that's really not a cost that is factored into, yeah, your ACOS or your ROAS or however you're looking at that. And it's essentially yep. wasted, wasted spend. Yeah, exactly. And it's simply because you're not looking at the inventory. I call it inventory minded marketing, being conscious of inventory whenever you're doing marketing. And that can be on both sides. That can be on the side of the marketing needs to know what's happening to the inventory to be able to market. But then as soon as restock limits came into place, inventory minded marketing which is a term that I coined originally to mean marketing needs to pay attention to inventory. It actually became a double-sided meaning where inventory needs to inform marketing as to what's going on. So what products are going to be stocked out? And there's just various different things that inventory needs to be informing marketing of, but that is a portion of the business. I don't think that is focused on well enough. And I've even talked to uh, husband and wife teams where one did the marketing, one did the inventory, and they were constantly causing problems for each other. It's <laughs> uh, funny. Yeah, at Bobsled, we've got our sort of, we've got a division of responsibilities as well, I guess, between advertising and our account managers or our project managers who handle the organic marketing side of things and also operations. And mm. I can, it takes a, to be fair, it's a different type of brain required for each and different types of experience. So I, yeah. I don't ever think the same person could really manage all of those things particularly well. Mm-hmm. It's just a different skill set. But yeah. what we find is that on, on the advertising side of things, it's probably a advantage that we have versus an agency that just focuses on ads, for example, is that we do have the operationally minded and skilled folks to keep that check and balance in place because yeah. otherwise it can be, you know, PPC can sometimes be a little bit of ones and zeros and if you don't have that overall understanding of where is the, what's what's going on with inventory, where are mm-hmm. we at and where are we likely to actually be in an out-of-stock situation Right. You just, you're throwing money away. Yeah. Knowing your, knowing your runway is extremely important. That's, you know, that's the crux of, of understanding, you know, how much do you have to play with? What, you know, what assets do you have to employ within your marketing strategy? And one of the things that I like, it's, it's my favorite feature on our tool. And it's interesting because 
no one seems to have adopted it outside of what we are doing. We haven't seen it being adopted. And it's something that you can even create on a spreadsheet. And that's an inventory timeline. And it's simply, what's the inventory that you have? What do you have at your warehouse? What do you have at FBA? What is your, your run rate? When are you going to transfer inventory in? Like, when do you actually run out of stock? And when do you have to place that order based on your lead time or based on your transfer time to be able to keep in stock? And it's a very heady numbers type of business inventory is. And a lot of people shy away from it. And I think a big part of that is because they can't visualize the math behind it. And how, how am I running out of stock? We get that a lot. How am I running out of stock? Why do I have to create a new order already? And then you look at the timeline and you see, oh, this is how. And so that's a very good tool for pretty much anyone to adopt if they're having a hard time wrapping their head around the concept of, you know, of stockouts and inventory restocking. I'm shocked that that doesn't get as much usage (laughs) as you are. Wow. Yeah. Usually it's just, here's your number. That's your magic number. Trust us, you know. Hmm. So we've got a lot of people listening to the show who have an omni-channel business where they've got in-store sales and they're constantly mm-hmm. trying to retrofit, I guess, their sort of national account approach to their e-commerce channels and explain, you know, do some do some internal selling around how things have to work with e-commerce. How is an online forecasting capability different to an in-store forecasting capability for those brands who are who are omnichannel. Yeah, so in-store is normally when people are selling in retail, they're normally selling in various different retail facilities. So it's kind of like comparing vendor central to seller central operations. Usually with retail people who sell to retail, they have they get invoices. And it's not true real-time sales. It's what does Walmart want? What does Target want? What do these mom and pop shops want? What is What are the invoices? And what is the frequency of those invoices? And that's what they kind of have to think with versus real-time sales. Online is always real-time sales. And so it's projecting you know, those real-time sales. And that's like the biggest main difference is that you have to, with retail, you have to guess what your buyers are going to want. And, you know, you can you do that also with some historical data. But with online, you have to look at, look at more at trends, I think, and more in a nuanced and granular level, and also at what's happening, what competitors are coming into the space. It's a lot easier for competitors to get into the online space than to get into the retail space as well. So there are a few other nuances to to online and it's kind of more immediate. Gotcha. Okay. So just a few questions left for us today. What are the KPIs mm-hmm. that brands should be tracking to make sure their inventory planning is on track? Sure. Number one metric for Amazon is sell-through rate. So in order to figure out your sell-through rate, Amazon actually looks at 90 days of your sales of, of items you've sold and shipped out and then divides that by the amount of inventory that you've kept at FBA on average during that same period. And so if you've sold through 9,000 and you have held an average of 3,000, then that's a monthly turnover rate. That's a That would be the number three in terms of your sell-through score in the IPI calculation. The sell-through is number one, what 
is going to help you to increase your restock limits to basically tell Amazon that you're good at inventory management. Every other metric in the IPI score also basically points back to to sell through. So it's, you know, although we have these four points of, you know, inventory performance index, all of them equate to sell through. If you really start kind of unpacking those things, you know, excess inventory, stranded inventory, and then in stock rate. And then there's, of course, sell through itself. The other things to look at, we always recommend creating a stock out risk report. So if you're, you are running a timeline and, and you are tracking your SKUs, seeing what items are potential for stock out and that stock out risk report. These are the items we think might stock out. These are the amount of days. This is the date on which we project that they're going to stock out and then sending those to the marketing team. All of these reports, stock out risk report and the other reports I'm going to discuss should all be going into sending to your marketing team so that they have a heads up on how they need to adjust what they're doing. Another one would be past stockouts. This could be part of your stock out risk report. Past stockouts, if you can see that you've got certain products that have been out of stock, you know, 10, 15% of the year, or, you know, X number of days, not only does it show you how much you're losing in revenue, but it also shows you it exposes potential problems within your supply chain for those suppliers or for those products. And you can start to dig into why those particular products are stocking out. The other reports would be a slow sellers report. This would be a range, say for you, my, you know, for your business, it might be five to 20. If I'm selling between five and 20 sales per day, that's a slow seller. It's not a dead product or a dying product. It's something I might be able to revive. So it tells marketing they can potentially push sales on that. We have, you know, how much inventory do we have? And can we possibly boost that into a healthy range, which for someone might be, you know, over 20 sales a day, it might be higher. So it's a range. Below that, let's say under five sales a day for some businesses, that would be a liquidation report. We have to just move this. This is a product we're going to kill. We don't want to put the effort and the money into reviving it. We know it's on its way out. So let's just expedite that death spiral as you were. Right. And then there would be overstock report would be another one which can encompass slow sellers and liquidation, but also can encompass best sellers. Overstock is very valuable because it creates either a liability or an asset for you. Inventory is one of those interesting things, kind of like a house or a car. It can be, you know, a liability or an asset. I mean, uh, cars less so, but it can be a liability or an asset. It's a liability if it's not moving and it's just incurring storage fees until eventually it becomes unprofitable. It can be an asset in that you can take a look at that and you can say, okay, well, I'm going to use this inventory and I'm actually going to boost the sales and create a more viable product because I have a lot of inventory. I've already paid for it. I have all this inventory. It can either collect more storage fees or I can use it to market with. And then you push on marketing. And the other thing that that will do is because we have storage type limits, which means with our restock limits, that anything that we market across our entire catalog affects anything else. We don't look at, you know, that what we had was ASIN type where the ASIN was the only thing, you know, if I boosted sales on one ASIN, that ASIN got the bump and nothing else did. The storage type limits actually becomes a great gift to us, even as we hate restock limits, 
that shift is not talked about enough as a valuable gift in that we are overstocked on a product. That's an asset to help boost restock limits across our entire catalog. Excellent. Yeah, it's such a great point about the halo effect that these Uh things can have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So I've got just a couple more questions for you, Chelsea. (laughs) What's one thing that you've changed your mind about? I think that really has had to be the importance of teams and the importance of systems and trusting other people. You know, as an entrepreneur, having this idea that I'm the only one who can do it, I can do it, you know, better than anyone else and not being willing to kind of let go of that to being able to have to, for expansion, trust other people and trust, you know, that People can mess things up sometimes. People can break things. That has been a really hard one lesson is you can mess up sometimes. It's not going to break your business, you know? So that I think has been the biggest thing that I've had to change my mind about is that it doesn't have to be perfect. Good for you. That's a a good one. What's Mm -hmm. one thing that's exciting you right now in the world of e-commerce? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, I'm very excited about optimization and profit recovery across the supply chain. I think that businesses that focus on that are going to be the businesses that end up being able to scale successfully. It's been a very hard two weeks for a lot of people in e-commerce, in the inventory space, in the supply chain space. And the businesses that will win in 2022 are the ones that really start getting some of that profit back. There's tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of dollars in your business that could be recovered across the supply chain if you just get smarter about, you know, the product size, carton, container, pallets, and looking at all of the fees. And we're talking about specifically fees that come across you know, your freight forwarders, your 3PLs, starting to audit those and really see where can I actually squeeze more money out? Because we don't look at that side of things. We try to negotiate with our 3P or with our supplier. We try to improve our PPC spend, but no one's really trying to do anything about how they're sending their inventory, right? They may be trying to negotiate or find a better, you know, rate on a 3PL or a freight forwarder, but not really getting very granular, not getting granular enough and just kind of saying, okay, well, it's $10,000 per container, let's roll over and take it, you know, start thinking about, well, how can I get more into that container if I have to spend that amount of money? All right, so we've we've been talking about So Stopped, which is your company and really fantastic inventory forecasting and management tool. Tell us more about So Stopped and where we can find you. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. So SoStocked is an inventory management software quickly heading into the multi-channel space as well as the cash flow and profit optimization space within the next year. And we were really built, you know, it's cliche to say, you know, buy sellers, you know, for sellers. But what we personally mean about that is that we have worked with hundreds of sellers to build out SoStocked from the very beginning. We brought people on a journey. We said, We want your feedback. Let us know what you need us to make this tool into. We want to do the job that no one has done yet. Everyone has, you know, any software that had been built before, people run screaming back to spreadsheets and we wanted to solve that. If a spreadsheet could do it, we could do it. So that's kind of been our approach is that we have partners in our users and we listen to what is needed. We have a very personal relationship. I personally onboarded hundreds of users in the first two years of the business. 
And so that's why SoStock has been able to grow as well as it has is because of that sentiment and also just the feedback and the features we've been able to push based on actual Amazon users. And so you can find it at SoStock.com. You can also reach me at SoStock.com forward slash connect. I have a demo there. I do webinars on inventory management, best practices and profitability. And I also have all my socials and my email and all of that there too. Excellent. Chelsea, I know you're a very busy lady. Thank you so much for joining me today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me.